0: person will own two dogs in their lifetime. Some may own more than others, but that is the average. But how do you know which dog to get? Do you go for the cute-looking dog, or do you find a dog that matches your personality? Or do you just choose a dog and hope everything works out? This week, we sit down with Ireland Pace, a dog breeder with some great insight about finding the perfect dog for you. Well, welcome. Thank you so much for taking the chance to sit down with me and have this amazing conversation.
1: My pleasure, Chantel. It's always fun to be with you. Thanks.
0: The very first question we have for you is where did your love of dogs come from?
1: You know, I actually thought about that one a little bit and I honestly don't remember when I first started loving dogs. I was one of those little babies, little kids that I had a teddy bear, not a doll, and I loved my teddy bear and took it everywhere with me. I've always liked animals and I've always kind of had a rapport with animals. In fact, for one of my birthdays as my parents were trying to stall on getting a dog for our family because my mom had bad allergies they got me a subscription to something called Dog Fancy and so I would get a magazine in the mail every month talking about dogs and I even back then was reading it and thinking about what I would do if I ever had a litter of puppies and what I wanted which dogs I would want to breed then in 3rd grade Actually, this is the indication my sister has informed me that this proves that I'm the spoiled favorite child because she says that she wanted a dog and didn't get one, and then I wanted a dog, and suddenly we got one. But I know they had dogs growing up. They just didn't come from Maryland with us when we moved when I was three. So in third grade, we researched breeds, and my parents sadly thought that chihuahuas are non-shed, which they're not. And they got me a little neurotic chihuahua that we named Tiki, Parita Negrita, Chiquita, Bonita, Chihuahua, Winkler.
0: (laughs) That is a fantastic name. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: my, my brother was taking high school Spanish at the time, and so he decided that we should give her a big long name like that. And Tiki went everywhere with me. Uh, she slept in the hammock with me when I would sit outside reading books and swinging. I would take her on walks. She slept in my bed. In fact, one time I had a nightmare. And the thing that woke me up was the fact that I was squeezing my legs together, and she was asleep between my legs. And she was going... <laughs> and I woke up and went oh I'm crushing my dog oh dear so so Tiki started my my real love my real chance to realize just how much I have a rapport with dogs and she was a chihuahua therefore she lived forever she was two years old when we got her when I was in third grade and we still had her when I got married oh I met my husband at the age of 20 oh wow very long life and very goofy little dog. She was also the apple of my dad's eye, and he spoiled her rotten. (laughs) I took a long time before I had my own dog that was my very own. I had children for a while, and once or twice I would try to get a dog, and I would bring it home and realize that the temperament wasn't quite right or that I was spending more time trying to socialize the dog than I was socializing my kids, and took them back and realized that that was something that was going to have to wait. And then when... My youngest at the time, when Felicity went, and Felicity's here with us today. She's going to help answer questions. Hi, hey guys. When Felicity went off to kindergarten, or I felt like it was okay to get a dog by then. And a dog just kind of fell into my lap. And it's been it's been doggish ever since.
0: <laughs> what was the name of the dog that you got when Felicity was in kindergarten?
1: This dog was Shadow. Uh-huh. And Shadow was made for me. Like I said, I tried a few different dogs. We, we got one dog from the shelter, and it was kind of spazzy, and I realized that I couldn't handle it just yet when trying to do small kids. We got another dog that we thought might work for our family right up until it looked over and decided to bite the neighbor kid on the nose because he was sitting on the couch watching TV and took it back to the lady that had given it to us, and she's like, oh, I know it's not the dog's fault, and I'm like, well, I'm pretty sure it's not the kid's fault, so... That dog didn't work out for us, and I was really reluctant to get a dog. And my neighbor, who I would go play with his dog because we didn't have a dog, came home one day and said, hey, I've got a friend that's getting rid of a Cocker Spaniel. Do you want it? I said, how much? And he said, for free. And we went and looked at it, and he was the most filthy, disgusting thing I'd ever seen. He lived in a backyard, so he was really dusty, with a St. Bernard. Oh, wow. Now, if you don't know very much about St. Bernard's, St. Bernard's drool. And when they drool, it's not like drip, drip, drip. It's like cords of spit, similar to a thick rope hanging from their mouth. And he would run underneath her and get her spit all over his back. It was gross. So he didn't look like much, but they explained the situation. They said that she already had two dogs of her own and she'd gotten this dog for her dad, but her dad was not done grieving the dog he'd just lost and didn't want to bond with this little pup. And so she felt bad for him. And so she decided she was going to just give him away. So I brought him home and gave him a bath and discovered that underneath he was a really pretty, soft, curly black, kind of shiny and silky. And this dog and I bonded like you would not believe he ended up being. My husband says that God made Shadow specifically for me. And Shadow would have been perfectly content to have been stitched underneath my skin. But since he couldn't be, he just kind of stuck to my side and went wherever I did and did whatever I wanted him to do and... I always think that I want a dog that I can exercise with and go on the outdoors with and no. What I want is a dog that's lazy and naps with me. And that was just perfect for Shadow. If we went on family activities, he would follow me up the tree trunk as I went with my kids. But when I was feeling down and lazy, he would just flop next to me and be perfectly content.
0: Wow, that's amazing.
1: So, why did you start breeding dogs? Well, honestly, it's because our family was going through a financial rough patch and Shadow had reached a point where he was old and decrepit, and it was time for him to be allowed to just go home. And so I had had several years with no dog, and I was starting to really miss having a dog. So once again, we tried to find the perfect dog, and we started with a dog soon because that's what my kids wanted. And this, <laughs> Felicity's laughing. Tell us about the dog soon, Felicity. So
2: his name was Cuervo, and no, no, no. what are we talking about then? You're talking about Daisy? Yes. Wait no, her name was Dory. It was Dory. It was Dory. Dory Doxund. I do not remember her. I just remember she peed on everybody's beds. I thought you were talking yes. about Cuervo. No, with the little bent tail. Oh,
1: no. Because that was. No, I was talking about Dory. We had several dogs that didn't work out. Um, we caught on really quickly that I'm a dog lover, but I suddenly realized that I'm more of like a not sing- not every single dog, just specific dogs lover. <laughs> Yeah, Dory was this little dog soon that was supposedly so well-behaved and housebroken and everything, and she literally jumped up on and systematically peed on every single mattress in our house. Oh, gross. And we realized yeah. that, oh, she's not happy. She There's something about this that's not working for her. So she ended up finding another home. It's actually not hard to find another home. Dogs, people love to take on dogs, and so... And I've learned from experience that something that's not particularly right for me will be the perfect dog for somebody else. Mm-hmm. And so I don't feel as bad as I thought I would about helping a, family, a dog find a new home and a family find a new dog. So then we tried a dog that was, like, in some ways my ideal. Huge, gorgeous, part new, part not sure what else. But same thing. This dog was super well-behaved for me. But if I went somewhere, she would go in the backyard and bark, 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 bark. And she could jump over our fence and really strange, even though she would let my toddler boy use her as a footstool to get onto the couch, she jumped the fence and bit a boy that was going past on his rollerblades or on his skateboard, skateboard. longboard, his longboard. Oh jeez. And I'd only had her a short time. And I was like, I I can't do this. I don't know how to deal with this type of aggression. So the same thing, I had to relinquish her. But she, before she even did that, went on a camp out with us and we put her in the car for a little while. And she chewed through all the seatbelts in the car. And at that point, my husband said, we're done. He's not a dog person. (laughs) If you're going to have a hobby, why don't you have one that makes money instead of costing us money? So I said, okay, I will not have any more dogs. And then my addiction kicked in. And shortly before Christmas, I started looking in the want ads. (laughs) Not buying a dog, just looking, right? Yeah. Yeah, That's that's Mm -hmm. how it always goes. Yes. And found somebody that was looking for a guardian home. They were a breeder. And they were looking for a guardian home for one of their dogs. And so I contacted them and talked to them about that and agreed that I would be a guardian home for one of their dogs. What that meant was that they would breed the dog, and the dog would live with me. And then when the puppies came, it would go back to them and then come back to me. And I would get a dog where the expenses, the major expenses were covered, and they would get puppies out of the dog. And as I got to know them, they started encouraging me to do some breeding on my own. And so we bought a sphinx cat and one female dog of our own and started trying to be a breeder.
0: That's exciting. It's so cool. So what are some of the challenges you have faced when coming to breeding? Like, what are some of the experiences that you've had?
1: Well, one of the challenges is the fact that you have the dog all the time, whether it's breeding or not. And again, I've learned that dogs have many, many different temperaments and just like You can be friends with anybody in your college class or you can be friends with anybody in your neighborhood, but that doesn't mean you necessarily want to live with all of them. I've had a lot of dogs where their temperament just didn't quite mesh with mine. Mm -hmm. And that was an initial difficulty, trying to make sure that they were happy and content, but that they weren't doing the things that drive me bonkers. And I've discovered I have some particular things that I really just don't like in a dog. I don't like a dog that jumps up on me. I don't like a dog that is super pushy or super dominant. Because I would rather just be sort of communal rather than having to constantly be the crackdown on everybody pack leader. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the difficulties was figuring out how to deal with dogs with a different temperament than I prefer and what to do with them. Another difficulty, though, is you can't always predict the outcome. You can do a breeding and it may not catch at all and you might not have any puppies. Or you might have, in our case, too many puppies. Oh, And you're not sure what to do with them all. The greatest difficulty is when somebody gets sick. Mm. We had our very first litter of puppies, and they were at the point that we could sell them. And we'd already started selling some of them, but we still had a few left. And we moved to a new neighborhood and discovered too late that that area was a hotbed for a disease called parvo, which is incredibly deadly for puppies. Oh no! And so we ended up spending several thousand trying to keep that litter alive by hospitalizing it. And there's a lot of dilemmas that come along those ways. You'll have litters that are born where you can tell a puppy is sickly. What do you do? Do you let it grow up and then decide whether or not it's healthy? Do you go ahead and put it to sleep then? We've had dogs get in terrible accidents. We've had dogs get sick with things that we didn't even know they had until it was too late mm. because we just thought they were moping or we didn't... There's It, it takes a lot of experience and we didn't have it yet mm-hmm. to recognize this puppy is not going to thrive or this dog just went blind and that's why it's suddenly no longer leaving its nest. There's things that you can't necessarily know until you've been through it. Mm -hmm. And I think that the greatest difficulties were the times when puppies weren't thriving or when mamas weren't doing well Mm -hmm. and trying to figure out how to deal with that.
0: Wow. What are some cool things you've learned about breeding, like genetics-wise, with dogs?
1: Well, that was another one that I learned kind of on the fly. When I was growing up reading Dog Fancy, it was kind of on my bucket list that I wanted to have a litter of puppies someday. And I thought well, I need to do it following all the right steps. I need to have the perfect dog, and I need to have this, and I need to have that. And these friends of mine that I mentioned had started me with a guardian dog were kind of mentoring me, and it took me a while to realize that I don't agree with all of their philosophies. But they told me, oh, don't worry about it. Here, just take this male and take this female. The puppies will sell. So I sort of started that way and didn't really know. I just kind of took their advice on who to breed with who and what to do. But I kept a dog because I really liked the dog. And it was a black Labradoodle. And I thought, well, the blacks are the ones that, that don't sell very well. They're, they're not as valuable in the breeding industry if you're doing it for profit. They make great pets, but not everybody wants a black dog. Yeah. They want the fancy exotic colors. So I kept her thinking, well, she's going to produce a bunch of black dogs, but that's okay. We just will sell them for less. And then either way, I get to keep this dog. Well, after I'd bred her, I met another breeder who knew way more, it seemed like than the breeders that I'd been working with and she said your dog's black well what color were the parents and I said well the dad's chocolate and the mom's silver and her mouth dropped and it seriously looked like I mean like this huge avid spark in her eye of oh my gosh you're gonna have the most amazing puppies and I was like what she's like no if you if you carry chocolate and if you this and if you this she started listing all the details I just told her Mm -hmm. and she said You basically have a a goose that lays the golden egg. You have no idea what you're going to get, but you very likely could get every single color out of this dog. Wow. So I started researching it and learned a little bit more about dominant genes and recessive genes and what a dog carries and what a dog can produce because it carries that. And like my friend, I started getting really excited to see this litter because I realized that it wasn't very likely that she was just going to have black puppies. Mm -hmm. And then when the puppies were born, we ended up with 10 puppies and none of them were black. Oh, wow. We had black and white. We had brown and white. We had solid chocolate. And we had a couple with tan ears. Oh, so and cute. we were like, whoa. And by then I'd realized that dogs... Uh, there's actually a lot to learn. Mm-hmm. Color is breed specific. Mm-hmm. So there are some colors that never appear in certain breeds. There's, there's others where, for example, with, with poodles and labs, especially if you mix the two, there's three main colors. Mm-hmm. There's black... There's brown and there's, they call it yellow, but it's actually anything from light tan clear through to dark red is oh, considered yellow. Interesting. And so for this black dog to produce yellow and brown and black mm-hmm. and party, which is when they're two colors, mm. was phenomenal. She mm. really was just like, wow. You just what produced was this dog's name? Cruddle- this was Umbri. Oh. And she was my main breeder. We bred her three times. She's the only one that I've bred three times. Wow. And We stopped reading her because her first litter was ten puppies and her second litter was twelve puppies and her third litter was fourteen puppies and I thought, oh wow. Oh dear. (laughs) If you keep going on this rate (laughs) You're gonna get a lot You had a lot of babies, you're done. So we just let her be a pet and she was our pet for quite a while. But it was really fun learning more about the genetics and figuring out that I could actually choose Mm -hmm. what I wanted. And it was really interesting because another litter that I did later, it was a chocolate dog, so I knew exactly what I needed to do to get the puppies that I wanted. And I didn't use my own meal with this litter. I chose a stud from Mm -hmm. outside of my own home. And when I went and talked with his owners, they were where I had been. They were brand new. Mm -hmm. And they were telling, yeah, we just bred it with a such and such. We're excited to see what the puppies looked like. And I went, "Um, if you just bred a brown with a red, they're going to all be black. Mm. And they were like, really? And I'm like, yeah, both of them are recessive. And if you mix the two, they can't match up. Mm. so you're going to end up with black puppies. And when the litter came, they're like, yep, they were all black. Oh, wow. They said, so what are yours going to be? I said, mine are going to be chocolate or chocolate party, all of them. <laughs> and mine were chocolate and chocolate party, all 12 of them. <laughs> you can get to
0: the point where you can, like, yeah, I know what's going to come out of this litter. I know what's going to come out of this litter. You can
1: actually tell quite a bit just by looking at a dog. Oh. A simple example, if you have a black dog with a brown nose, it carries chocolate. Mm. But it itself is not chocolate. Mm-hmm. Same thing. If you have a chocolate dog with a black nose, actually, I have to stop and think about it. I don't do as well if I'm not looking at the charts, mm-hmm. but it was very interesting. See, there's one of the charts that I found was amazing because it could tell you if your dog looked like this on the outside and you knew it carried this color on the inside and it had this color nose, mm-hmm. it could tell you percentages of how many babies in a litter would be each color. Oh, wow. And so, you know, I knew that if you breed a chocolate with a chocolate, the way recessive genes work, they will produce only chocolate. Mm. Because chocolate is a recessive gene. You have to have both little bees, mm-hmm. if, you, if you ever remember doing those things in biology. Mm-hmm. You have to have two little bees to get chocolate
0: mm-hmm.
1: on the right gene and allele. And so another one I did was a chocolate who had the fading gene. So she looks silver, mm-hmm. and that's my current girl, Mimi. Mm-hmm. She looks silver, but she started out a chocolate puppy who then faded to silver. Oh, wow. The official term is lavender. Silver mm-hmm. is for a black dog that turns gray. Mm -hmm. And lavender is for a brown dog that turns gray. But we bred Mimi, who was a lavender, with one of my puppies from Umbry's Litter. Mm -hmm. that was a black that had the fading gene. So by the time he was an adult, he was completely silver. But he started out black as a puppy. Mm -hmm. And they produced, again, goose with a golden egg. They produced puppies with tan ears that were pure white except for the tan ears. They produced black puppies that faded into silver. They produced black puppies that stayed black. They produced black and white party and chocolate party. And
2: didn't some of those still have the fading gene where like,
1: yes, they were turning like silver. One of the
2: puppies didn't have eyebrows when she was born, but by the time we sold her, she had little eyebrows, like they were fading out. So, so the black starts turning
1: cute. brown first and then it turns to silver. And mm-hmm. so they looked like they had Groucho marks eyebrows that were <laughs> these big brown spots <laughs> over their eyes. Adorable. It was really cute. And um, you could see it happening. Even by the time they were eight weeks old, you could see that the fading had gone when they're first born. You can tell they're fading because they have little brown patches at their wrists or heels, mm-hmm. and sometimes their eyebrows, and underneath their tail. Mm-hmm. And if you can see that brown patch on a darker dog, then you realize, hmm, this is going to fade. Mm-hmm. And you could see it by the time we would be selling them at eight weeks or, or whatever, the fading would have already gone from just behind their heels to all the way halfway up their arms. Oh, wow. And so, again, we knew that, that they both carried the fading gene. Mm-hmm. We knew that they both carried, well, I knew that he carried, that there was a high chance he carried chocolate mm-hmm. because his grandfather was chocolate. And his mother carried chocolate, and he had siblings that were chocolate. And I knew that she carried chocolate, and so I was curious to see if we could get other things too. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, since he's not pure chocolate, mm-hmm. it, it was just a few of the cases that matched up and made chocolate, and a few of the cases that matched up and made black. Mm-hmm. And only two of the 12 were able to match up with the reds, the yellows, mm-hmm. to have the tan coloring.
0: Just imagining them, I'm like, they're so cute. It was like opening
1: an Easter basket, you know? What's inside? And you don't (laughs) know until they're born. And it was super fun to watch the births.
0: I can imagine that being fun. Just always like, what combinations can we get from this and this?
1: So how many puppies have you had come through your home? That one is a little bit hard to count. I know how many each mother gave birth to. Mm -hmm. But, you know, as as you were saying earlier, what are some of the difficulties? One of the difficulties of having a litter is that there are going to be puppies that die. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I should count that, That for example, Candy had eight puppies, but one of them was a stillborn. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I should count that one or not. So I kind of count it as how many puppies did I sell. Mm-hmm. And at that point, if you add the few puppies that I definitely remember didn't make it to that number, I, I think there have been at least 100 puppies that have passed through our home. Oh, wow. Some of them in multiples, and that was not fun. Oh. I do not recommend having more than one litter at a time unless you own 10 acres of land. Oh, no. Story time?
2: <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say that we're, we've been at 76 for about five years. Then last summer we ended up with two litters of 12, and that pushed us up to like 100. And so we've had our fill of puppies. <laughs>
1: oh, gosh. How long have you been breeding? Um, I started in 2013. Okay. And then I did it for three years, and that was when we had our first five to seven litters, eight litters. We lose track. (laughs) And then we did from 2013 to 2016. And then spring, I guess, of 2016, it felt like winter. It was still winter. Mm -hmm. 2015, 2016, we sold the last of our puppies. And then we knew that we were going to be moving. And we weren't sure if we would be able to keep dogs in the properties if we had to rent for a little while or if Mm -hmm. we moved. So we kept two pets, but we didn't breed Mm -hmm. for a couple of years. And then after another move, we ended up in a place where we could have dogs again and got two females. Mm-hmm. They brought each other into heat. Uh, my husband kept saying, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. And I'm like, no, I can't. No, I can't. And I was right. Not him. <laughs> we ended up with 24 puppies in our backyard and it was... Puppy over lowered. Yes. Puppies destroy land. Oh the, puppies chew. Puppies bark. Puppies go potty a lot. and So it can be really exhausting and that... that Maybe our last set of letters. Mm -hmm. But that would have been two years later. So that was 2019 that we sold all those puppies. Oh, wow. I
0: I can't imagine just trying to take care of one puppy, all the food and all the care and all the mess that they make. But times that by 24 at the same time. Well, you know, they always say... sound exhausting.
1: (laughs) Well, when you're bringing home a newborn baby, you know, everybody does the what to expect when you're expecting and what to expect with your new baby. And they warn you that a newborn baby is going to have eight to ten diapers a day. Mm -hmm. And... Most of them are actually going to be messy diapers, not just wet. Mm -hmm. Well, so now multiply eight to 10 diapers a day times 10 babies or 12 babies or 24 babies. It's a mess. Oh dear. And for the first few weeks, the mama takes care of everything. The mama will lick them clean. The mama will clean their nest. If she's a good mama, we've had some that were not interested in cleaning up messes. And so Mm -hmm. they fed their babies and their babies were fat and healthy and filthy. Then we've had other babies that were fat and healthy and immaculately clean. Mm -hmm. And it all depended on the mama's interests. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, they get a little bigger. And if you picture same thing, 12 puppies in your backyard, all going potty at the same time and running around and chewing on things and dragging things around, it can get a little crazy.
0: It might sound fun for like an afternoon, just playing with 24 puppies, but living with 24 puppies, 24 (laughs) seven for eight weeks.
1: We kind of got to a point. Yeah, we've got... For the first four to five weeks, my little ones, because I had small children at the same time, my little ones would be like, I want to play with the puppies. I want to hold the puppies. I want to do the puppies. And then along about five weeks, six weeks, seven weeks, they're like, I don't want to share the backyard with the puppies anymore. I want the puppies to go away.
2: (laughs) I mean, to be fair to them, at that point, if the puppies come running at you, it's literally like a tidal wave. So you just gotta walk (laughs) out there. You're like, okay, well, I can't feel anything below my kneecaps now. This is fine. (laughs) This hurts. Please stop grabbing my shirt. Okay, bye. Well, they're just,
1: you know, they're, they're babies. Mm-hmm. They don't realize that their teeth are needle sharp. They don't realize that they're little claws when they try to jump up on you. Mm-hmm. You know, we had a, a litter of kittens that were the same way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if, if the one kitten wanted me, they, they ended up being orphaned Young, so I was their mama. I bottle fed them, and thank goodness for my Mimi dog. She, she did the diaper change part for me, and I did the feeding part. And when they got older, they would climb up my leg with their little needle-sharp claws. Mm -hmm. And I'd be like, I'm not wearing pants. That hurts. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. The puppies are the same way. They jump up on their mamas. They jump up on their caretakers. And they have no idea Mm -hmm. that their little muddy paws are... In fact, I actually have parallel scratches on my arm that are from either a dog or a cat. I don't even remember which at this point. But they're permanent scars from a dog jumping up and scratching me the wrong way. They have sharp little claws. So they're absolutely adorable and a little bit inconvenient.
0: We kind of touched on this a little bit, but what do you look for in a dog you're going to breed? Like what are some of the qualities or traits that you look for?
1: You know, there's a couple of different things that you can look for, especially people that like going the purebred AKC route. Mm-hmm. They have very specific things, things that they are looking for in terms of conformation, which means are the shoulders exactly the right height? Is the tongue exactly the right color? Is the head size just right? And they have very specific physical qualities that they are trying to match up with. The problem with that, which it sounds ideal in many ways, but the problem with that is that some breeders in the past have gotten so caught up on this dog is absolutely perfectly knockout gorgeous that they would say, I don't care that his temperament is a little bit flawed. I don't care. They weren't breeding for temperament. They were breeding for looks. Mm -hmm. And so they ended up with what got called puppy milled dogs. Mm -hmm. They all looked great, but their temperaments were no longer consistent or predictable. Mm -hmm. Then the other train of thought is, you know, if, if you do like I did, which are designer breeds or hybrid dogs, mm-hmm. mine's not a pure lab and it's not a pure poodle. So which standard do I try to hold it to? Right. And that gets a little tricky. So um, I decided that I was going to be a hobby breeder. And so what I was far more interested in was getting a temperament that worked for a family. Mm-hmm. I didn't want a gorgeous dog that was a total temperamental brat mm-hmm. genetically. And I've seen those. And in fact, we ended up with one. We got it as a puppy. And as it grew older, we realized we will never breed this dog. Mm-hmm. Her temperament is not what we prefer. She's, she's pushy and she's sly. Mm-hmm. And we don't. I don't think that I could trust her around other dogs. And I don't think I could trust her around other children. Mm-hmm. And then I've had other dogs where I don't know. Ideally, what I would like to find is choose a breed or choose something that I know exactly what they should look like physically, but still breed for temperament. Because the way I advertise mine is, I bred for temperament, good-tempered, sweet family dogs, and just lucked out that they looked gorgeous, too. Mm -hmm. So I would choose my dogs based on what I thought that their personality would be like and what type of temperament they would produce in their puppies. Mm -hmm. But you also want a little bit of a mix, because just what I like isn't necessarily what everybody likes. Mm -hmm. So if you've got a really sweet, mellow dog like my girl Mimi is, Mm -hmm. then I bred her with somebody that was a little more bouncy. Mm -hmm. but then the puppies I liked were the ones that got her temperament, but there were other people like, oh, I totally love how playful this dog is. I want this one. Mm -hmm. And that worked out well, but I would never breed a mean dog and I would never breed a sly dog. Mm -hmm. So even if it was a spazzier dog than I prefer, Mm -hmm. I made sure that it still had a temperament where its family thought it was just the most amazing dog in the world. Mm
0: -hmm. And you had to touch on this a little bit. You don't want to just breed the dogs that you like because not everybody likes the same dogs. What is your favorite kind of dog breed?
1: (sighs) That's a hard one during those time periods when I couldn't have a dog yet, it just didn't work yet for me. Mm-hmm. I found a book called The Right Dog for You. Mm-hmm. And I love that book. It's so dog-eared. Mm-hmm. Sorry, the pun. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Never I apologize used it. for the pun. <laughs> I used Pums it so much that the
1: cover got worn off and the mm-hmm. pages got ragtag. This author was saying, you need to be aware when you go into it, what you want in a breed. Mm-hmm. Because, well, backstory, amusing backstory. When I was in high school, I still had my dog Tiki. Mm -hmm. And my friend Dustin had a dog named, no, he didn't have a dog. His dad bred Chows. Mm -hmm. His family didn't have a Chow, which, Dustin, I think you should be aware of the fact that your family didn't choose a Chow. Anyway, Chows are big, huge, furry, gorgeous dogs that were specifically bred to be independent and aloof. Mm -hmm. And he used to slip hate notes in my locker to Tiki. Death to Tiki's Chows rule. Mm -hmm. You know, your dog is just nothing but a winged bat, you know, and... And I would laugh and I'd send things back to him and we would just joke back and forth about what was the best dog. But as I've looked at that now and as I've read this book, I got to see his grandpa's chows one time and his grandpa would not let me anywhere near the cage Mm -hmm. because chows are not meant to be happy-go-lucky family dogs that the kids tug on their fur. Mm -hmm. But they're a gorgeous animal. If you're the type of person that wants an aloof dog Mm -hmm. that is good at guarding your home, then get yourself a chow. If you have 12 children and you want the dog to be able to tolerate all sorts of kid stuff, don't get yourself a chow. Mm-hmm. So, and this book talked about, this is what this dog was bred for. So, you know, if you want yourself a really, really quiet dog, don't buy a hound. Mm-hmm. They have been bred and designed to be really loud while on the hunt. Mm-hmm. Plus they're pack animals. So they're going to be friendly with anybody and everybody. And they're going to talk as in bark or howl mm-hmm. at everybody. And, and he talked about a lot of the different breeds like that and explained This is how big you can expect them to be. This is how much they shed. This is what their temperament's like. This is how they are with children. This is how loud they are indoors. This is how loud they are outdoors. And I studied that book a lot. And I think at this point, probably my ideal dog Mm -hmm. would be if I could have a newfie doodle. What's a newfie doodle? A newfie doodle would be like a Newfoundland dog, but bred with a non-shed. Because newfs shed like crazy, which Mm -hmm. I don't care for. Mm -hmm. And some newfs are also really drooly, Mm -hmm. just like that St. Bernard was but there are some noofs that are a little bit tighter lipped Mm -hmm. and they have a reputation for being like the nursemaid dog. Mm -hmm. They are so incredibly good with kids and they're incredibly good. But again, you have to make sure you're getting a good one that you've seen the temperament of the parents Mm -hmm. because just because this is their reputation doesn't mean that all noofs are that way anymore. Right. Because you don't know what people have bred for. So I would, I would love to have a non-shed noof. I really, really like my labradoodles and double doodles. Mm-hmm. Evidently, my preferred dog is a is a Labradoodle because that's what I kept was Mimi. Mm-hmm. I do like the non-shed, particularly if you have family members with allergies. Mm-hmm. I like dogs that have intelligent but eager to please temperaments. Mm-hmm. You know, he talked about intelligence. You don't necessarily want the smartest dog out there. Mm-hmm. Because if you are not the type that can keep a super smart dog busy, then the super smart dog will find its own jobs to do. Know. And that's what people run into with Border Collies. Border Collies are one of my favorite breeds. Mm-hmm. But where I'm kind of a low energy, middle-aged housewife, I better not get myself a Border Collie unless I have a job for it to do. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one of my, my favorite dog jokes. How many golden retrievers does it take to change a light bulb? Mm. Oh, well, uh, just one because I'd be happy to do it. You know, how many labs does it take to change a light bulb? Once again, one. Me, me, me. I want to. Please, please let me do it. <laughs> How many old English sheepdogs does it take to change a light bulb? Well, sheepdogs have tons of hair over their eyes, so their response would be, what light bulb? (laughs) And how many border collies does it take to change a light bulb? Well, of course it only takes one, but since it was such a simple job, he also reconfigured all of your wiring to make sure that it was up to code. (laughs) That's a border collie for you. They're highly intelligent, very eager to please, but very, very driven. Mm -hmm. If they're not out with a whole herd of sheep running duty on them, then they'll find other jobs to do, like dig up all of your drain pipes in your backyard and, and reroute your sprinkler system <laughs> or chew holes in the drywall or things like that. And so you have to be aware of what you want in a dog before you go choosing a dog. And I highly recommend that anybody who's doing it, research your breed a little bit. Don't just go get whatever is the cool, popular dog unless you know what to expect with that dog. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, that's amazing advice because I I feel a lot of people are like, oh, I like the look of this dog. I want this dog. But you also have to take into consideration what is their energy levels and what is their temperament like? Exactly.
1: So what is your favorite part about breeding dogs? Like, why do you do it? I think that I should probably stop being a breeder and start hiring myself out as a nurse midwife because I love the birthing. Mm -hmm. I love being with the female Mm -hmm. and working with her and comforting her and helping her become more relaxed. If you've got a first-time mama, they don't know what's happening to them. Mm-hmm. And to have a rapport with that dog and to be able to help them relax, to help them bring the babies out, to see what the colors the babies are, mm-hmm. to hold those sweet little things and work with the mama. And I, I love the birth process and I love watching the mama with the babies for the first few days. Mm-hmm. That's, that's my favorite.
0: That's amazing. What is your least favorite part about dog breeding?
1: I touched on this a little bit earlier. My least favorite part is the difficult decisions that you have to make. We had, we had a puppy that stopped growing, mm-hmm. and the mama would push it away and refuse to let it nurse. She rejected it. Mm-hmm. And I knew enough about dog psychology and you know, animals giving birth in the wild that I realized that part of the reason she was rejecting this dog, this puppy, was probably because there was something wrong with it. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't just sit aside and let it die. Mm-hmm. So, we had a friend who rescued us with goat milk. She had a goat farm and she let us take some of the milk for free to feed this puppy. And the puppy started to thrive. And we had to keep a real watch on it. I wasn't sure I could sell it because I didn't know for sure if there was anything wrong. Mm-hmm. And we took it to the vet and talked to the vet about it. And he told us, well, here's some things to watch for. And if it makes it to a year without these things, the main being, thing being having seizures or failing to thrive again, then the puppy's probably okay. Mm-hmm. Well, it made it to the one year mark and we were all excited. And then a month later, it started having seizures. Oh, no. And so I am glad that we didn't just completely give up on him mm-hmm. because he was a really, really fun pup. Our mm-hmm. family really enjoyed this dog. But, you know, when I'd see things like that, when I'd see a puppy coming out that was too small mm-hmm. or that the mother was rejecting, or when I had to decide, do I let this dog continue living and paying tons of money for medications that I can't afford right now? mm mm-hmm. Or do I put him down? And before we could even decide, before we could have even gotten a medication working for him, he'd already had such profound seizures that it was what, Phyllis, a matter of days or weeks where we watched him go from being a happy-go-lucky puppy to acting like he was drugged. He just was completely lethargic and unaware of what was going on around him. Mm -hmm. And those are the hard decisions. Do I go ahead and put him down now? Do I try to give him a good quality of life? It's not all cute puppies and roses there is life and death decisions that you are forced to make as a breeder Mm -hmm. or as a dog caretaker even. You have to decide at what point do I say let's let nature take its course and when do I intervene? Mm -hmm. Same thing we had. It was actually a dog that, one of the same dogs that I told you about that was kind of sly and unkind, so we decided we wouldn't breed it. We gave it back to the person that had given it to us and they held on to her for a while and then one day they realized that she had heart problems Mm -hmm. and they asked her if I wanted to bring her home to die. And I said, yes, I do. So I brought her home for, for her to be with us before she died. And it was the same thing. When I got her, I was appalled. She was super skinny mm-hmm. and super, like she could barely swallow. She could barely do these things. She was still kind of happy, but physically she was getting worse and worse and worse. Everybody's entitled to their own decisions on this, but I hit a point where I felt that it was not humane of me to allow her to just continue to die. Mm-hmm. And we took her in and had a vet assist us in helping her die so that she didn't have to go through that any longer. I guess you could say we killed her. We put her down. Mm-hmm. But I felt at that time that it was a far kinder decision to not force her to go to the very end mm-hmm. where she didn't understand what was going on and she couldn't figure things out. And, and she is a dog, not a person. Mm-hmm. And so for us, that was, that was very difficult though to watch those dogs suffering and have to decide whether or not is this life or death or is this something that can go on. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, just making the hard decisions. Yeah. So um, so I'll end on a little happier note. (laughs) (laughs) What advice or what resources would you recommend to somebody who's looking into dog breeding or any resources that you would direct
1: them to? I'm actually facing this a little bit with my friend right now. She has one of my puppies and she wants to breed it. Mm -hmm. And the people that told me, they're like, oh yeah, you could do three or four dogs at a time. It's no big deal. You could totally do this. This is so easy and it makes so much money and it does this and that. And I sat her down and I said, before you decide to do this, you need to be aware of these details. It is not easy. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's fun. Yes, it's a lot of hard work. And it's not for everybody. Are you willing to have a portion of your house set aside that smells like puppy litter? Mm -hmm. Are you willing to have your backyard torn up? Are you willing to make those decisions about whether or not a puppy lives? Um, Do you know who to breed with to get healthy puppies? And- I would say before you start breeding just for fun, I would actually say don't do what I did in spite of the advice I got. Mm-hmm. I would say make sure that you really research. Make sure you know what it is you want to breed for. Mm-hmm. Uh, make sure you know what the current market is. Are you going to be able to find homes for 12 to 14 puppies? Mm-hmm. You know, I thought I was going to have small litters. So I thought six to eight was going to be my biggest litter. Mm-hmm. And seven was my smallest litter oh, other no. than the one female who was naughty on us and got pregnant when she wasn't supposed to. And oh, she no. had four. Oh and that was with us like safeguarding her and keeping her away from every male we possibly could. She still ended up with four puppies. Oh dear! <laughs> but again, I would say actually at this point the majority list of our litters ended up being twelve or bigger.
2: I wouldn't say bigger. I'd say twelve was just like the average. Okay, yeah. Like we had some that were seven to eight, and we had a lot. Of, I feel like we've had like three different litters that were twelve. Right. And we've had like one or two that were ten. We've only ever had one that was 14. And right. And even then, we actually lost two of those puppies, where one of them, was it, wasn't it like one of them was a stillbirth, and one of them got no. suffocated?
1: No, that was another of those where you have to face that sometimes things happen that you don't like. One of the puppies got stolen by another female oh, who wanted to right. nurture it, mm. and she got all happy and licked all over it, but she didn't know what to do next, so she just walked away when she lost interest, and the puppy died of hypothermia. Oh, no. The other one, there were 14 puppies, and the mom was lying down wherever she could in this. She was in a swimming pool. It was big, but she still, all the puppies are right with her. And she mm. shifted in her sleep and didn't realize that she was lying on top of one of the puppies. Mm. And the puppy was squeaking, but you can only squeak so loud when you're one week old and stuck underneath your mother. Mm-hmm. So she ended up smothering one of her puppies. And I think it was more devastating for us than it was for her. But puppies die. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, I think you're right. I think that maybe 10 is our average 10 to 12. And I think that if somebody wants to be a breeder, you need to be aware of what you're getting yourself into. Mm -hmm. You need to be especially aware, am I going to be able to find good homes for these puppies? Are they going to be free of health problems? If I were to continue breeding, I would prefer to do it with a health tested dog that I know every detail of its genetics and what it can produce, Mm -hmm. including any flaws it might have. And, And that costs a lot of money. Mm -hmm. so don't just go into it thinking you're going to make a fortune selling whatever is the most popular dog Mm -hmm. be aware of all of the responsibility that goes along with it
0: well thank you so much for this opportunity to sit down and really have a conversation with you i've known you for years never had this chance to do it so i was very excited to sit down with you
1: well thank you for considering me one of your talented people
0: you are very talented (laughs) thanks for joining me you're welcome bye-bye
2: on next week's episode of Talented. The King of Random was founded several years ago by a man named Grant Thompson, who was the King of Random. He got his name from a friend who basically told him, hey, dude, you're like the King of Random because Grant loved to explore. Unfortunately, we lost Grant last year, but he had basically created and grown the channel into what is now a team of five people. And we all basically create content and make videos where we just explore science and the natural world and you know how things work and how things tick and can we make things stranger or weirder or more fun and it's an amazing job.
0: We sit down with Callie Gate, one of the hosts of the popular YouTube channel The King of Random. We learn what it truly takes to be a YouTuber. Until then, stay talented.